Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Brad Chisholm. He's the co-founder and CEO at Launch Factory. Brad, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show again. Um, I think what you guys are doing at Launch Factory is really innovative and cool and quite different than how a lot of uh, companies uh invest and, and kind of create founders. But before we get into all that fun stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Well, I grew up in El Paso, Texas. It okay. was uh, loved growing up there. It was a great place, great place to grow up. Lots of really, really good people. Um, but then I went to college and I came out with an engineering degree and the job options in El Paso just weren't, uh, just weren't what I wanted to do. So, um, so I ended up moving to San Diego at that time, working in the semiconductor industry. And and for any of you that kind of know how the semiconductor industry works, it's a very feast or famine industry. So either times are great, money's everywhere, or they're shutting down fabs and laying people off. So I wasn't out in San Diego very long uh, when they decided to shut down the site I was at. So I either could move to Phoenix, which I could handle that because I was from El Paso, similar weather. Um, right. Or I had a job offer to do research and development in the same space for the Navy. And um, really what made my decision there, one, R&D sounded cool, but I had met this really wonderful girl and we were dating and I really wanted to see where that would go. That was going to be hard to do if I was in Phoenix. Um, so I stayed in San Diego for that reason. Turned out to be one of the best decisions ever because she's now my wife. Um, and I got to do really cool work at the Navy. And one of the things I got to do there was work on this one technology. It was a sensor technology that was really exciting. And, and that was around the time that I realized, you know, I, what I really want to do is be an entrepreneur. And so, so I started working on an MBA at night because it, you know, I knew nothing about business. I had no experience in business. So, so I figured, well, go get an MBA. And at least that way I can learn some of the basics. Um, what I ended up doing was you know, the, the inventor of the sensor technology, I, I talked with him, he had entrepreneurial ambitions himself. And so I used my MBA as an incubator and we licensed this technology from the Navy, you know, which you know, means you have to quit. So I had to take the plunge, quit my job and, uh, and, and license this technology. But we built that company up um, over a number of years. We were ultimately acquired by Google in 2014. And when you go back, I knew I was gonna get back in the startup game, but when you're reflecting back on your journey, when you've been an entrepreneur that has that's had a success, you look at it and you start looking at all the times that your company could have died, you know, how it could have almost failed. Sure. And probably like almost every startup that happened to us numerous times. But then especially when you're looking to go do this again, you start thinking about, well, how am I going to prevent those those failures from happening? Because very often what was the big difference maker? was luck, at least luck from our perspective, right? You know, something something outside of our company came in and saved the day. And typically it was on the business side, not on the technology side. So 
So one dramatic example of that, uh, we had, I was finishing my MBA doing business plan competitions. And of course I was using, at that point we'd already started, launched the business and I was using the business as, my, as a subject matter for the business plan competition. I was supposed to sign a contract for $11.5 million. We had gotten this contract negotiated for a joint development project. This was going to be our first funding. Wow. I'm over a year. Yeah, amazing, right? And we're over a year into the business. So without a salary, right? And you know you know how, how addictive salaries can be. So this was, <laughs> sure. I was going through my withdrawals, right? Like I really needed this. I was running out of money. Um, and we had this $11.5 million contract. Uh, it turns out the company was based out of Houston. I was presenting at the Rights Business Plan competition. I was going to present in the morning, sign the contract in the afternoon, and find the fancy restaurant to go celebrate for dinner. Um, they sure. ended up pulling the contract. Wow. Instead of signing it. So I had to go find a fast food restaurant instead of a fancy dinner place, right? So um, I had to, the competition wasn't over, so I went and I presented again on Saturday. And one of the judges that had sat in on the first session also sat in on the second session. And afterwards, he asked me, you know, where's your money slide? Because I had had a slide that said $11.5 million contract pending. And that sort of was why we did well in the competition. So to remove that slide, you know, needed some answers. So and this was not during the competition. This was afterwards. So I, you know, I explained to him the situation, what happened, all of that. And, and he says, you know what? This may have been for the best. That was actually a pretty offensive statement to hear at the time because you know, sure. here I, I just lost $11.5 million I don't, and I, I'm running out of money. How is this possibly for the best? Well, it turns out he was the CEO of a software company that sold into the market that, uh, that, that, this, that this one contract, you know, the company that this one contract had been pulled from was in. He offered to give me CEO level introduction to everybody else in that space. There's only wow. about 12 companies in that space. I had no other contacts, so we were dead in the water. Now I have a guy that's giving me CEO level contacts. We were able to turn that into a competitive bid process that got us funded over $17 million over the next few years. So, uh, so it turned out it was for the best. Um, his name is Dan Piat. He will always be somebody that, you know, he's one of these iconic people in my mind because he was the one that came in and made the big difference right when we needed it. We went from losing a contract to 24 hours later having a lot of hope and reason to think that we're going to get to go back and get the next one, and and that's exactly what happened. So, so, so then you look at this. It's like, how do you make that happen on purpose? How do you have a business plan that says you're going to go meet Dan Piat or or your equivalent of Dan Piat? And of course you can't, right? You know you can't sure. you can't do that kind of thing on purpose, but you can increase the odds of it happening, and that's. Okay. That's what part of that is what led to the idea of Launch Factory, because at Launch Factory, we create startup companies. And you look at these things that you can do to increase your odds of success as an individual company. They're very hard to do in a systematic way just for yourself. Some of these things actually work better when you deploy them across a large number of companies. Network contacts are one of them, right? If you build up a network of people that are all interested in the company and the portfolio company's success, that network can be utilized, you can build that in a much more meaningful way than you can as a single company when you're trying to run your own business and go build a network at the same time, right? So, so in our case, our companies, we have we have 15 different advisors at Launch Factory that are very, very successful people with, with, with very impressive Rolodex. All of us are interested in our portfolio company success. 
So we can either be the Dan Piet uh, in their situation, or we can help find Dan, right? So, so this is this is one of the ways that we try to increase the odds of success for our portfolio companies. But at the end of the day, for us, we've tried to create something where it's all about the founders and increasing and improving how they can execute. We're the support behind them. They're the ones that that have the ultimate responsibility and the ultimate um, and the accomplishment is all theirs. But if we can be behind them in a supportive way, then we can do something really interesting. And we can have technology companies that succeed a higher percentage of the time. Interesting. Okay. So walk us through, because you've been through a few rounds of this now and, and launched some companies. Walk us through actually deciding to do Launch Factory. How has it kind of evolved and what exactly is it today? So our first company was in 2019. They formed in September. And, and so we just did one company in 2019, our first year. Uh, in, in 2020, we've started two companies. And so, and we're going to be, and we're launching four companies uh, later this year. So, so we're growing in that way. And, the, and, the, and so, so the spirit of what we're doing has remained the same. You know, we are looking to create really interesting companies and then support them and be with them in a way that increases their odds of success relative to other startup studios that do anything similar to us. We're extremely generous on the equity side. We give the founders come in and they get two thirds of the company. We view ourselves as a third co-founder. We take one third. That is that is a you, you won't find that split very often. But we do it that way because the way we look at it, if you want entrepreneurs, then you need to compensate them like entrepreneurs. They need founders level equity. They need to have the control. We also don't do anything to um, reserve control over them, meaning that once the founders are in place, we do not reserve the right to remove them if we decided we made the wrong choice. That's also something unique that we do. And that's because we look the way we look at it, this is you know, starting a company is an ambitious, difficult thing. And if we can't trust our co-founders, then how can we ask investors to trust them? Right. So we need to be the first yeah, ones to trust them. They need to be empowered. You can't micromanage an entrepreneur to success, right? So, so we do all these things, and then we make sure that that we are the the support function. All of that's remained the same. What we've changed, and I think this is changes that that fit the same spirit of increasing the odds of success. But the biggest thing we've changed have to do with the team. So, we now have Andy Ballister, who is the CTO co-founder of GoFundMe. So he he he's an entrepreneur in residence here, and he helps our portfolio companies when it comes to how they should think and act as a CTO. So he runs a CTO bootcamp and he works with them. And so, so imagine, you know, imagine you're a CTO of a startup company. And, and even if you've done this before, you need, you can benefit from help and coaching from somebody else that's walked the walk, right? And so you get oh. to have Andy Ballister as your CTO coach if you're here at Launch Factory. We also have Kim King has joined us as a partner and she's a former venture capitalist. And one of the things that she's done that I think is really, really interesting for our companies is she's formed what we call our strategic exit committee. And this is a committee that, that helps our companies think about their exit path, because the way we view it, the day you take investor dollars is the day you've officially said, I plan to exit at some point in the future. Makes well, sense. Yeah. If that's, and if that's your plan, doesn't it make sense to have a strategy on how you're going to get there? So totally. interesting. Yeah, exactly. And so, so, so she helps and, and there's other people, you know, I'm involved with this too, but, but she's the, she's the one that leads this, you know, how do we help our companies think about their exit path? 
Well, one really important ingredient on getting to that exit event is your funding path to get there. Very often it's your investors that create the exit opportunities, the introductions, if it's an acquisition, or you know, they're the ones that are very influential on helping you achieve that goal. So as a former venture capitalist, she is able to help our companies get in front of the right investors and knows when the right time is for particular investors. And so, so she works with our companies to help create a pipeline for them so that when it comes time to raising that money, they're approaching the right investors with the right story at the right time. And, and it's still 100% of the responsibility for raising money is still 100% on the founders. They're the ones that still have to get in front of the, these investors and convince them that they're the right entity to invest in, but, but they got the introduction. Right. They were able to they were able to get in front of that investor, which allows our companies to raise money in a much more efficient way than they would if they were out on their own. No, interesting. I 100 I percent agree with you. I, I think like having those resources, uh, it like it, it's almost priceless. Right. Yeah. And it's and it's it's a way that, you know, we are, you know, our view is that we're part of your team. It's you're the you know, when you're the founders, it's your company, but we get to you know we get to be your biggest cheerleaders and part of your team. And it's a way that we can contribute value all the way to the exit point of the company. None of this is required. You know, you don't if you're a founder here and you don't want to go to Andy's boot camp and you don't want the support of the exit committee, you don't have to take it. It's a but but we put it out there as resources um, where we can really help. And 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 you know you know that we're low volume because we. You know, one company in 2019 and two companies last year and only four companies this year. But what this means is that we can spend a lot more time being supportive of our companies because we're low volume. And so um, and and so this is this is one of these things where it's it's not about we're not trying to do the numbers game where you place a lot of bets and and hope for the best. We're placing a very small number of bets and then protect and then and then protecting them and watching them very closely. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I just want to step back a second. I, I think the concept makes a lot of sense. But so you guys do diligence around different businesses that you want to start and then look for founders and co-founders to actually execute on those ideas, correct? And then you support them once that's all picked, correct? That's correct. Yeah, we start... We, we, we like to say that we start with the idea. Now, what that means is they're high level ideas, right? These are not detailed plans with all, you know, all you do is follow the instructions. There's still a lot of things that haven't been determined, but we know, you know that we're going to, that we want to create a business in a particular area. And the reason why is based off our due diligence. So we do a lot of due diligence work to make sure that these are, this is the right, the right business to start in the right market. And then what we do is we ask when we the way we select our founders is we ask them to demonstrate to us if you were going to build this business what is your vision for it and and they they're given the high level idea they're given all of our due diligence information and and because our you know our view is that if you can show us if you can show us what your vision is for an idea that's a much better indicator of how you'll actually carry things out than than if we look at your resume or look at your past accomplishments so um, because I think we all know, you know, identifying entrepreneurial talent is an incredibly difficult thing to do. So, so we do it by having you show us your talent as opposed to us trying to, to guess. And, and um, there's some interesting things that come out of this, right? So we like to, we like to call our process a merit-based process. 
because this is not about what you've done in the past. I mean, past experience is extremely valuable. It will absolutely help you. But what's more important is how much of that experience are you bringing to the table? So show us what you, what you will do. And what it does is it allows us to select people not off relationship, but off merit. We actually go so far as when, when, when we, at the very early part of the process, because we have multiple candidates we're looking at the same time, they, all the submissions are done under a team name. So we don't actually see the physical people. We don't, you know, so if there, whatever bias we might have, you know, we don't know what gender, what race, we don't know what your school you went to, all of that we keep, we keep separate. We don't see it when we're, when we're looking at the submissions. And when, and by doing that, if we have any biases, whether they're conscious or unconscious, it's not, it does not reflect in our judgment. We form our first impressions of, of everybody just around their submissions tied to a team name. And it's not until toward the end of the process that we actually see the people and connect them to the work, work they've delivered. But at that point, our impression has already been made. And so, so this is a way that we can have a true merit-based process um, and make sure that we're really selecting the best founders for these particular companies. No, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? And it's pretty pretty cool that you guys basically anonymize the people because it, it just makes it like a complete and fair process. And you're judging on ideas and skill sets instead of other things that sometimes we don't even realize or we're not even trying to do. And you're just like something just off, right? Where you can just totally get rid of all those biases. That's really cool of you guys. Yeah, it's something that, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's something that that's another thing that's stayed consistent from the beginning. It was really important to us. You know, when James and I were forming Launch Factory, that was one of our first decisions that we made. And, uh, you know, to be honest, it was particularly the very first year, it was nerve wracking. You know, sure, I can imagine. You know, we're, we're you know, we have this idealistic, you know, uh, way we're going to do things. But, um, and, it, and we were confident when we wrote it down that it was going to work. But, was it going to? And, you know, I think the, I think the best way to judge is, well, how, how are the, you know, how are the companies performing? Well, you know, you look at our first company and they're having their hockey stick moment right now. They are taking off. Awesome. That's great. Oh yeah. It's so proud of those guys. They worked so hard. Um, and, and, you know, while we like to feel like we've been supportive, I think the, the best thing we've done was pick the right founders. Everything else we've done is, you know, maybe a little extra wind in their sales, but they're the ones that actually did it. No, that's that's very cool. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into some of the uh, companies that you're doing this year and a little bit more on how you actually recruit and what you what are you looking for in founders and ideas when you actually select them and what makes you select them? Yeah, I mean, great question. So, you know, so it's one of these things that you can, there's a lot of great you know, stuff out there to read about what are the attributes of a, of a successful entrepreneur. And, you know, you'll see things like, are they gritty? And, and you'll see things like, you know, you need to be a problem solver. Uh, you need to be, you know, a, a good networker, maybe, maybe a good storyteller. Um, all of those, none of that is necessarily wrong, and some of it might be absolutely on the money being correct, but it is just theory. And right. you, know, you, go, you go look at, if you were to go sample 100 startup companies and, and look at the individual, just look at the CEOs, right? Because that would be a little easier. 
uh, just go look at the personality spectrum that you will encounter and it's going to be very wide you're going to get the the table pounding yelling you know person that yell, you know that tries to bite everybody's head off uh, and is basically a jerk but somehow is always able to get people to follow and get things done and you're also going to have the soft-spoken introvert that is a very is very very methodical in their approach and they both build successful companies so so we struggle to latch on to to what is the personality trait or the characteristic that somebody needs to have in order to be successful because what it really is it's a it's a combination of multiple traits within a person that they figured out how to organize in a way to make themselves successful matched with the individual business idea so instead of looking for the specific traits we want to look at what it is that you're going to do to make a business successful convince us that this is a path that will bring this company to success and and then we don't have to we don't have to worry about you know um trying to trying to be some you know trying to identify these magic you know traits that will make an entrepreneur successful because i i think that's i don't think that's actually possible i think there's what i think there is is i think there's multiple combinations that lead to success not just one formula and uh and we're not going to be the ones that crack that code we're just going to be the ones that are able to get somebody that has their own formula and then allow them to apply it. Sure. No, that makes sense. So you guys also give your companies some funding. Do you want to talk about that as well? And how does that get decided? Yeah. So, so it's, it's every company gets the same amount. So it's, this is more based, you know, you look at it, um, we we will screen the ideas that we pursue based off whether or not we think the funding that we offer will get them to the fundable milestone that they need to get right so so the funding we give is just initial seed capital is 300,000 per company we don't anticipate that this is somehow going to get them to a point where they don't need further capital we assume all of them will need to raise more money but we want to make sure that $300,000 will get them safely to a point where they can go raise that additional dollar so they can take advantage of Kim and the strategic exit committee. So um, we don't put a lot of restrictions on it. The only thing we do, we cap the amount that's allowed to be used for salaries. Really, there's two things. Uh, we cap the amount that's allowed to be used to salaries for 50 to 50,000 a year until they raise more money, in which case that restriction goes away. Okay. Now, this is, this is because we cap it because you know, 300,000 is not a lot of money. And we assume at the beginning, and this is the second requirement, that, that they need to have a budget for up to two years. Okay, right. So you have two founders at 50,000 a year for two years, that only leaves you $100,000 for everything else when it comes to the business. And so, so you, need, you need some money to actually further the business. And, and so that's where that split comes from. Our goal is not, we also aren't looking for founders to be comfortable. We specifically want them to be uncomfortable at the beginning. You know. I ended up, um, I actually ended up having to go three years without a salary with my first company. Um, you know, we, you know, in the beginning I told you it was, it was a little over a year and then we meet Dan, we did, but, and we got the contracts, but it took a long time before the funding actually came into a level that I could take a salary. Uh, and, I, but I had some other things that, you know, it actually turned out that we won all these business plan competitions. So I was able to fund myself through business plan competition winnings. The point here is, you know, I went three years of salary. That's a normal path for a startup entrepreneur. Totally. But it's not something most people can do. Yeah. I had some, 
Interesting. I had a combination. I did some preparation. I saved up a bunch of money, but I also got lucky in a few areas where I was able to have the money that allowed me to go be the startup CEO, but it had nothing to do with why I was a good CEO. It just is what allowed me in. So, so we don't expect people to be able to go down to zero. Most people can't, but we do. You know, so what we want to do is you're allowed to take some for, uh, for salary. So that, so this allows us to, to look at a much greater number of candidates than we could if we said no salary. So, um, um, but that's uh, so. So that's the three hundred thousand dollars in, and that's the only restriction. Um, and uh, uh, and then we cover things like office space and the upfront legal work, and you know all those types of expenses during the first two years. Got you. And do they have to move to San Diego or the San Diego area where you guys are located? We like to refer to it as they get to move. You know, to okay. San Diego. <laughs> it's a yeah. Our incubation process is you know it is. It is local to San Diego, and of course, that makes a whole lot more sense in a non-COVID world, which hopefully uh, we will be in for the second half of this year with our new companies. But the reason behind this is for the incubation process. One of the one of the things, and this is true with, with any incubator, one of the things that's often reported as the number one value received is the interaction with the other companies. Hundred percent. Yeah. So so that is really difficult to do effectively. If you're geographically separated, it can be done, but um, but with all the things that we are that our companies are doing, trying to remember to you know to get social and really get to know somebody else well on Zoom, um, we just don't see that as we see that as too big of a hurdle. So we want all of our companies to be together so we can have that interaction, um, and and so it is you know so so you do get the uh, we do allow a little bit of the of the of the three hundred thousand dollar payment. We do allow some of that to be used for moving expenses. Uh, it's not going to be a lot, but you know, at least at least a little bit there. But we actually get um, most of the people that we have registered to be a founder candidate are from are outside of San Diego. We get a lot of attention here in San Diego, but most people are willing to relocate. And I think that's one of the nice things. You know, if you're going to live some, if you're going to relocate to someplace, San Diego is not a bad choice. No, makes makes a lot of sense. Well, and obviously you're pretty close to Silicon Valley and. Like I know San Diego is is a startup hotspot, but obviously LA is as well. So you're mm -hmm. very close to you're in a hotspot, and then there's two other really big hotspots. You know, obviously with Silicon Valley and everything kind of around there, right? Like you can yeah. drive it in the day. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And and the advantage we have is your house is a lot less expensive here, sure. and the weather is even better. So you know, it's like well, you know, perfect, right? So. Um, 100%. So I'm curious though, and, and maybe this is kind of more of a selfish question for me, is I think one of the hardest parts about building a startup, sure, it's coming up with an idea, getting a co-founder and or co-founders, that is extremely difficult and I'm not trying to downplay it, but I think it's maybe just as hard is actually getting the first version of that product built and, and getting a team to actually execute that. Do you agree with that? What are your thoughts around that? And and how do you guys help make sure that they actually get a first version of their software, their application built? Yeah. So I, it's a really good point. Um, yeah. That it, you know, that it is our number one focus. So the, when the companies first start, 
the, the our very first vote, the, well, their, their number one focus is on, on confirming they have that product market fit, which you have to build something in order to know if you have that product market fit. So, so that's what we try to do is remove all of the, all other distractions so they can be laser focused on achieving that. We bring in, you know, there's, it depends on the, it depends on what you're doing, but we bring in help and support and how do you do this thoughtfully and strategically? And then we want to move really, really fast. So we have advisors that can help you with, with the market outreach strategy so they can get those customers to see if they like it. We can do surveys, uh, talk to actual customers. One of the biggest things is you really just got to go talk to the customer and get a lot of inputs. Uh, and we've done a lot of that in advance, but we want the founders to also do it for themselves because, you know, there's it's it's one thing to read somebody else's conclusion. It's another thing to walk the walk and draw your own conclusions. And so, um, but this is where, you know, part of Andy Ballester's CTO bootcamp really focuses on thinking about the customer and their needs when you're developing your solution. And, and he does a, a really, really good job of, 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 of framing that in a way that is actionable. So, so it's a, all the initial support we do is to help our founders find that path. And, and, and so, so, but it is, I mean, it is absolutely critical because, you know, you can have everything else. You can have great looking financial projections. You can have all of your, all of your, uh, all of your corporate compliance documents filed, but if you don't have product market fit, you don't have anything. So, um, so it is it is our primary focus for each one of the companies and we expect that to take anywhere between 6 and 12 months depending on the challenges that it with developing that product and then sure. you're also never done right you know once you yeah. once you've demonstrated you have some initial traction well, great move forward but but it's a it's a constant process to make sure that you truly have that product market fit and that you're able to scale that business Sure. So you got, but you guys don't have like an internal design and dev team to help these founders build their products. That's up to them to sort that out, or how does that work? It's up to them. Now we will we will help with refer if they need outside support. We will help with recommendations. Uh, we'll even you know if we'll even help when it comes to strategizing on what on on how to build it, the architecture, the code you use, all of those types of things. We don't make any of the decisions on behalf of the founders. Our founders are are real founders. They're not. Um, they're not. There's no instruction manual that we have to success. Uh, it's all up to them. We view ourselves as as their biggest supporters, but we don't do it for them. Got you. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I also think it is nice that you built. You give them office space and you handle all the legal stuff. Like. Stuff that it sucks a bunch of time, energy, and money, right? Right, and doesn't increase your value. You have and... to do it in order to exist. But you know, you go look at any of the iconic, uh, successful startup companies of the world. None of them are amazing because their company formation documents were well written. Right. <laughs> sure. So, so yeah. we, we, that's a, that's just an example of some of the distraction we like to try to take off the table for our founders. Sure. So you, you kind of mentioned it a little bit, but I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into how do you feel COVID has affected your companies and as and founders? Like some people I've read online think that like COVID's one of the best tests for entrepreneurs, whether they're going to kind of sink 
or swim or, or kind of struggle through it. How have you seen it with your companies? How have it kind of changed that dynamic of trying to create and start a company during a global pandemic? Yeah, it's, it is a test to the founders. I do agree with that because, you know, you have this, you know, you, you have, especially when, when you have all the scary news out there about how terrible everything's going to be, you know, th things are a little bit less uncertain now, so that's not as bad as it was. But, but imagine, you know, being our companies, they both, the 2020 companies, they both started in June. And if you remember back at that point, that was a little bit of a, you know, we were, we were just past the first hump and we hadn't entered the second hump. So it was a little bit optimistic, but then July hits and you see the cases rising and there's all this scare of what's going to happen with the economy and, and, and everything else. That's a very scary time to have left your job, go down this high risk path of being an entrepreneur. You know, all, all of our entrepreneurs there, you know, they had careers that they, that they gave up to go do this. And, and, and so it is absolutely a test. Now, the way it specifically impacted us, you know, we obviously we had to do everything remote because of, you know, uh, because of COVID. Right. And, uh, and that has met with its challenges. Uh, our founders, I think, have dealt with it quite well. But there's something you lose, particularly when you're trying to be creative and do strategic engagements. There's something you lose when you don't have that in-person experience. And it's even worse when you have to when you're working with people that you don't have a pre-existing relationship with. Right. So. So that part has been uh, the hardest part. I think, uh, you know, I would say if what it results in um, is it's made it, you know, it's just it's just one more hurdle that our companies have had to go through that they wouldn't otherwise do. So, so I, you know, while it's really hard to say for sure, I would say they could have they moved really fast. They could have moved even faster in a non-COVID world, um, but it, they have not let it. None of none of our companies have let uh, the COVID um, reality stopped it right they they dealt with it actually quite well but that's another piece of why you really need to have good founders because not everybody can handle it as well as our founders have and and so um and you just don't know i mean if you think about OmniSync, our first company they started in september of 2019 well you know roughly this time last year was when covid was starting to you know get everybody's attention Yep. And 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 so they went they're they only a few months old and all of a sudden the world was turning upside down. And, you know, other people would have they could have gone back to their jobs. You know, they they had only recently been out there. You know, they were well thought of employees, so they actually could have gone back to their careers. But um, but they didn't. They they were they dug in and they and they they put together plans to deal to, to be able to build a business during a pandemic and they absolutely nailed it. So um, it's, um, yeah, I think I, I do like the way you phrased it where, you know, it's been a test for entrepreneurs because uh, the ones that have the, you know, the real drive, this is, they, they survive, they find a way to make it work. Sure. No, I, I think that's, that's also really good advice. And I also hope that if there's people out there listening that you can start a business today or follow your your passion today and yes obviously it's potentially harder because of uh the global pandemic hopefully it lets up and we're somewhat back to normal by the end of this year but who knows right and there's going to be highs and lows and other challenges maybe other pandemics in the future so like there's never like a perfect time to start a business that you're guaranteed to be success because there's so many unknown factors and even just to your point at the beginning of the show, it's like you thought you had this, you know, 
10, $11 million contract that, you know, fell apart. And then, which was probably one of the lowest moments of your life. You can correct me if I'm wrong there. And then, you know, 12, 24 hours later, you're, you're almost probably back at like one of the best moments in your life, right? Like such oh, yeah. a high and low. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. It was, uh, and you know, I was actually, I actually happened to be running the, I had the flu at the time. Oh, wow. Uh, now this was back when, you know, you, if you were sick, you just took a bunch of medicine and showed up anyway. You didn't socially distance or wear a mask. And it's, it's, a uh, uh, so, but yeah, it was a, it was a horrible day. Um, but then the next day, man, you know, those flu symptoms go away pretty fast when you meet somebody like Dan, that's going to open up all these doors right when you need it. Sure. No, I, I think. Um, that's really good advice. Is there anything else because you've been through it yourself, you've helped a bunch of companies go through this, any other advice that you like to give entrepreneurs or, or things that you recommend they do or don't do? Because I think sometimes people are just scared to start. Yeah. Well, I was in that boat. Um, you know, I, so there's really two reasons why I went back to get my MBA. One, I knew I didn't know anything about business. So, you know, that was a convenient way to to, to get some basic business uh, knowledge under my belt. But two, I was really, you know, I didn't really think I could do it. And meaning that I didn't know that I wasn't sure if I had what it takes to be an entrepreneur. So so I, there's a class I took, entrepreneurship was my first you know class after all the basic requirements. Uh, and the professor was Giles Bateman, who was the number three co-founder of Price Club, which we all know today is as Costco. Right. He did a really good job in this as being a professor in this class. And what he did on the very first day, he did a survey of who wants to be an entrepreneur. There's 17 of us in the class. So 14 people said yes. Two people said no. And I said maybe. The end of the semester, the very last day, he did the survey again. And most of the yeses had turned to no's. The no's stayed no's. And I was the only one that went, you know, the other direction. I went from a maybe to a yes. But I would, and I didn't ask anybody this, but I would argue that there's a good chance the yeses turned to no's for the same reason I went from a maybe to a yes. Because over the course of that semester, one of the things he taught us was that you don't have what it takes to be, to willpower a company to success. You don't control the market conditions. You don't control the economy. You don't control what your customers do. You barely can, you can influence what your employees do, but you don't even get to control that. So you don't, you cannot just willpower a company to success. I was like, okay, good. So, so for me, in, in a weird way, that actually made me feel better because I already knew that about myself. I just was somehow, uh, I, I believe that maybe other people did have what it takes to willpower a company to success. So now I was in the same boat. But uh, but it wasn't all gloom and doom. He gave us a second message, which was, you will have people that will come along and help you on your journey. And, you know, and this isn't some like, you know, mystical wisdom or anything. It's just if you think about anything in your life, whatever you've done, there have been other people that you've met along your journey, whether it was school or relationships or whatever, that 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 help you out. And it's up to you whether or not you're going to take that help. So. So you need to you need to believe that there's going to be good opportunities and, and people that are actually it's not just about you. Right. There's going to be other people in the equation and that will ultimately make the difference. And so so you heard my story about Dan. That's a perfect example of somebody that came and helped me out of my journey. But it's not the only one. I had lots of, of people. That was the most dramatic. But uh, but I had lots of situations where that happened. 
So, so I think just realizing that that's the reality of the situation. You don't, you can't, you're not, if you wait till everything's perfect and you've got everything nailed, then you'll never leave because there's always something wrong with your business. Um, but, but it's also not just about you and what you can do. It's about what you can do with the help of other people. And that to me is far more interesting than what you can do by yourself. Because when you do something with other people, you're doing something bigger than yourself. And that is really exciting. To me, that's when you're really living, when you're doing something that is bigger than what you could ever do on your own. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense and is actually really good advice. And I, I think, um, just to kind of re-echo your point, like, you're right. Like, I think... I like to call it kind of created luck that you keep trying things until you get lucky and and something goes your way and sometimes that backfires and you have to try something new but I think the 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 honest founders of companies or the most successful people majority of them at some point will work in there or some variation that they got lucky right and you have to work a lot of really hard sometimes to hopefully get lucky with that stuff right or with business yeah yeah you do it. Uh, there's a really good book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which I don't necessarily advise first-time entrepreneurs to read because it's it's so heavy in terms of, of the reality of the entrepreneur experience, but it's from Mark Horowitz from Andreessen Horowitz. It's his story. But one of the things he points out, you know, obviously he's met a lot of, of founders. Sure. One of the things he points out that he, if, you, if he talks to the people that have had mid-level successes, so, you know, so companies had exited a good amount of money, investors made money, but it wasn't, it didn't go public. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, an Apple or a Facebook or anything even close to that. He said, very often when you ask them why they're successful, they will credit themselves, something that they did. But if you go look, talk to the really successful CEOs, the people that did make it, uh, make these iconic companies, what he said that he most often hears is the, the reason why they succeeded was that they just didn't quit. Yeah. that perseverance uh and and i think you know you look at that and you and you 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 combine in there like what is it about not quitting that matters well it's similar to the create your own luck mentality in that they didn't credit themselves with with achieving the success they 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 it wasn't some some deep insight they had or or unique talent that they had it's that they were in there and 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 the business succeeded because they didn't leave. I mean, they allowed that luck to happen. They allowed the circumstances. You know, they kept plugging away till they finally got it. And I think uh, and I think there's, I think that's right. You know, I and I and I think what it really is is the the CEOs that credit their innovative thinking. Um, I think they they probably did do something innovative in their thinking, but I think they maybe didn't really acknowledge the level of contribution that luck or other people had. Uh, and that's that's a little bit disappointing, right? Because if, if someone helped, someone really helped you on your journey, the least you can do is to, is to acknowledge it, right, and thank them, as opposed to taking credit for their work. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I I I do believe you create your own luck in that way. No, that that makes a lot of sense. But sadly, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So, how will we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself? launch factory and uh the companies of uh the past and 2021 yeah absolutely so the best place is just go to our webpage launchfactory.com there is uh there's a lot of great information on there i used to tell people you could also reach out to me on linkedin and you still can 
but these days I also get so many inbound communications from 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 people that are you know basically looking to sell me something or or something along those lines that I have a tough time uh, differentiating between who's sincere and who's not. So uh, you can still reach out to me via LinkedIn. Just you might want to put a note in there that that you you it's because you heard me from from this podcast, uh, and that way I know that it's a, a sincere outreach. No, I I agree. Uh, LinkedIn's gotten really bad lately. Um, well, Brad, I really appreciate you again taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. And have a good rest of your day, man. All right, thanks, Kevin. All right, thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.